there is power in a gift. The Apostle Paul struggled to get believing Jews and Gentiles to unite as brothers and sisters. He challenged the strong to bear with the weak, and the weak not to condemn the strong. In his conclusion of chapter 15, in verses 22 to 33, he explains his present mission. He is on his way to Jerusalem with Gentile bodyguards to deliver a large material gift to the Jewish home church. Now let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson. The young mother was crying. She was sitting at the kitchen table and she was crying. She had three little boys that were gathered around her. The middle son thought his mom was crying because dad, who was an alcoholic, had just left again. And the little boy thought that his mother's tears were tears because she was lonely, because she'd been abandoned, and truly that's what he was feeling in his heart because this had happened over and over again. Actually, the young mom was crying because her husband left her again with no money, and worse, in the deep south, he had left her again without a car because nobody moved around eastern Alabama right on the border with Georgia without a car. A few days later, the mom got the little boy's red wagon and grabbed her three boys, her youngest. She hoisted up in her arms, and she made the long walk to this old grocery store, one of those clapboard grocery stores, not painted very good. And the grocer, for a few weeks, let her buy groceries on credit. But then the credit ran out. The cupboard, all that it could yield was hoe cakes. And that's all that they had to eat. Down the street, just really down the road, there was another poor family. The family that I've been describing to you that with the three little boys. The three little boys didn't even know the names of the children that lived about a mile down the road from them. They didn't know one of the boys' names because one day as this family of African-American little boys was going past their house, they came out with rocks. And all the black little boys took off running, but one of the boys was slower because he had a genetic defect, and the kids that were throwing the rocks heard one of his brothers yell, Waterhead, come on! And one of the boys hurled a rock right at Waterhead's head and hit it and hurt him, and they stumbled back to their home. But that African-American family down the road had seen the daddy leave again. They had watched this family take a little red wagon and saw a young mother with a little toddler in her arms with two little boys pulling the wagon, alternating with groceries. They saw the day came when no one, there weren't any groceries and there was no pulling the red wagon. And they knew what it was to be hungry. And so there was a very faint knock at the door. And they almost didn't hear it. But when the three little boys went to the door and opened it, there was Waterhead's little brother. This brother Waterhead said, ma'am. And the little boy's mother came out and said, ma'am, my mom had a little bit of cornmeal left over. And here it is. For a brief moment in time, the African-American family living in the deep south was poor, really poor. But for a moment in time, They had more than their neighbors up the street. Now, I would love to tell you that uh, that gift 
that caring heal the relationships that the little boys got along for the rest of their childhood together and they learned to play together. But Rick Bragg, in his book, All Over But the Shoutin', he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning New York journalist that describes growing up in that kind of a setting because he was that middle boy in that family with a, with, a, with a precious mom that had to raise three little boys by herself. And in the midst of all of that, his mom was sick because she was pregnant again. And she ended up losing that baby. And Rick Bragg describes how they just went from one tumultuous scene to the next. But he told that vignette, and what he illustrates is the power of a gift. Have you ever realized the power of a gift to reach across the racial divide, to reach across social dynamics that are all around us? Most of us think in terms like, for example, this week is Blythe's birthday. My oldest grandchild is going to be six years of age. And so Mary goes into Marshall's and she comes out like every grandmother does with a beautiful dress. Wouldn't this be a great gift? How many of you moms or grandmoms have ever bought your little ones gifts? Y'all do. We expect that. This morning I want to talk to you, though, about the power of a gift to reach to someone across the divide. Because one of the things the Lord wants to do throughout our body of faith is he wants us to learn to give gifts to those that are different than us, to those that we wouldn't ordinarily give a gift to. And I want to bless you as I begin because in a lot of ways the Holy Spirit's already at work. One of the things that I hear constantly in Midlothian Bible Church is how food is brought. And when I was with the houses in the hospital, they shared, like, welcome to the Midlothian Bible Church savings account or health savings account because you have been so gracious and it's important for us to do that. I would pray that we would flesh out our commitment to Christ by having the Holy Spirit anoint us with the power of a gift. In my own life, being raised, you know, back east, we didn't really give gifts. Like when we went over to someone's house to eat a meal, to be honest with you, it wasn't part of the custom that I was raised in to bring a gift. But when I moved down here to Texas, and as I've been exposed to many of you, that is something that a lot of you do. When you're invited over to eat, you graciously will bring a gift. When I've been overseas, uh, when I went to Poland, for example, when the Iron Curtain was still up back in 85, I had to have half my suitcase filled with gifts. And whenever you were invited to eat in another home, you would bring a gift. At the end of teaching the book of Proverbs to a bunch of Polish kids, they gave us gifts, and it was important for us to give gifts in return. Almost anywhere I've gone in the world, they know the power of a gift. Proverbs, way back a thousand years before Christ, talks about the power of a gift. So today I want to focus, as the Apostle Paul gets really practical, you've probably been wondering what in the world is the Apostle Paul writing all this stuff about being justified freely by his grace through the power of the cross of Christ, and why does he talk to us so much in chapter 7 about the eternal wrestling match that's going on? Why does he talk to us about that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus? Why did he share this in Romans 12, 1? You know, I beseech you there for my brothers and sisters because of all the incredible mercy, the gracious forgiveness that God has given you in Christ that you become a living object lesson of what it means to die and rise again with Christ. 
All of that incredible material for two chapters now. We've been wrestling back and forth, the weak and the strong. And we've had, Paul views the weak in faith being those that are still hanging on to all their religious stuff, hanging on to worshiping on special days. But he doesn't want them to be abandoned. He doesn't want them to be estranged at all from those that are from more of a Gentile background. And they don't think you need to obey any of those Jewish food laws. And and he wants the church to get along. How are you going to do that? How are you going to get differences within the body of Christ to click, to get along? And what I want you to begin to think about is, is is there someone that's not in my usual relationship circle that I could relate to, that I could give a gift to? Turn to Romans chapter 15, because Apostle Paul in Romans 15, 22 picks this up where you learned last week about the mission that the Apostle Paul had, how he wanted to go to Spain. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about those plans. If you look at verse 22, it says, This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. And you learned last week that the reason he'd be hindered is that he was busy bringing the gospel into all the areas, Albania, Illyricum, to Achaia, which is what's now the body of Greece, and up north in what is now the former Yugoslavia and all those countries The Apostle Paul is talking about ministering in what is now modern-day Turkey. He was saying, I've been busy founding churches. But as a pioneer missionary, the Apostle Paul now says, I really believe now that there's no more place for me to work. Look what he says in verse 23. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on the way, and then he talks about the second thing I want to talk about today is his gift to Jerusalem. The very first thing I want you to focus on is the heart of the Apostle Paul and his desire to form a base of operations. I hear it all the time. Isn't there enough work right here? How many of you feel that there's unbelievers right here? How many of you feel that there are poverty needs that need to be met right here? How many of you see it? And America does this as as a nation, and we can do it as a church. Right now, there's a major feeling is we got enough problems right here. Look at the economy. Look at the trouble. What's the United States doing in another country? Well, that comes over. That's one thing to argue that in international relationships, but I want you to know something. In the body of Christ, it's important for all of us to catch the mission. It's important for every one of us to be involved in the mission. And the Apostle Paul, he's not asking all the Romans to sell all their goods and take off for Spain with them. What he is asking them to do is to be like a military campaign. You see, in a military campaign, you've got the point, you've got the Marines that land at the focus of the battle. But if you add it together, there are thousands upon thousands of other people that are making it possible to make that advance. And I want you to think in your spiritual life, because it will bring meaning in your life. Every one of you today should be connected with the mission of taking the gospel into all the world. Some of you should be like the Apostle Paul. Some of you, I would pray that as you hear me teach today, some of you would say, you know what? I don't want to labor where people already are settled where people have already heard the good news. I don't want to be part of the support operation. I want to be a pioneer. 
And that should happen to some of you. In fact, there was a truck driver that sat for many years right where you're sitting. And he really wasn't, to be honest with you, as I taught him for probably about 15 years, he wasn't interested half the time. And uh, he was a trucker. And sometimes what I said was over his head, and he would tell me so. And uh, he was raising his kids. But as far as I knew as a pastor teacher, not a lot was happening. Little did I know that the Holy Spirit had gifted him in the body of Christ with that passion to reach new people, to form new churches. Gary left our church and became very instrumental in helping the cowboy church to get going. And he became a leader in the cowboy church. And his wife became very much involved in the the country western praise team that they have there. And Gary grew and he developed and he began to exercise his gift. Then he began to realize, because he was a trucker and also very much involved in the horses, that there's a whole culture out there of people on the weekends that do rodeo kind of stuff. And so he organized with several several others over there that were interested in that. They developed a whole rodeo team. And now Gary goes from Texas town to Texas town and Oklahoma town and Oklahoma town, and they put on a big rodeo. They'd announce in a town like Italy, let's say. We're going to have a great big rodeo. Bring all your friends. And all day Saturday, they have a great big rodeo. And then Gary preaches to them at the end and presents the gospel. And he does it in territory that hasn't been reached yet. And then they challenge, his team challenges those that come. If there's 20 of you that will gather together in a home, in a wow building or a a veteran building, anywhere in your town, maybe a cafe that they're not open on Sunday If you can find 20 families, we'll help you get a church started. And so one of your brothers is like the Apostle Paul. Last week you heard when. You heard his passion, how we can hardly wait to get on the Internet to connect with what we call the Marlboro Seven. And here are these these now brothers in Christ, all brothers, no ladies yet. Because in that culture, you've got to move that way. And when it's very sensitive. And when is the kind of guy, unlike a lot of us, to go into a town of 50,000, not even speak the language very much, and he connects through the power of the Spirit, and the Lord begins to work him, and now a baby church is being born, and people are being baptized, and they're coming to know the incredible forgiveness in Christ, because Muhammad can teach you a lot about ethics. Muhammad locked a lot of Arabian tribes that were wild and doing a lot of destructive things. Muhammad locked them into a rigid behavior pattern. But he didn't tell them how they could be absolutely sure they were right with God. And that's why we need to be there. Because we're the ones that have the message that tells people how to be right with God. So there's going to be those that are like Wynn. There's going to be those that are like Gary. But there also needs to be all of you. There needs to be you involved in this, providing a base of support. And the Apostle Paul has never been to the Roman church. But what he's describing here, and I want you to see his heart. He says, I've never been to see you, but he describes how I can hardly wait to be with you. Many times I wanted to be with you. You know, that really convicts me. Because from the time I've been a little boy, I've been sitting like I'm with you this morning. There was hardly a Sunday that went by that I wasn't with believers. I went to a Christian high school where we had chapel every night, and we had church three times on Sunday. We had church, 
Then we had a big outreach meeting where I played my trumpet in the afternoon and invited people from all over the place. And then we have another church at night. Some of you have heard me joke that in my senior year, some friends and I actually added up how many times we had been in church and we decided that we wouldn't have to go to church based upon the usual church attendance until we were 52. So to be honest with you, there's very few times that I'm not connected with fellow believers. What can that cause me to do? I can take it for granted. I cannot look forward to it. I want to ask you this morning. Do you say, man, I can hardly wait. I want to be in my class. I want to be with that small group. I can hardly wait to, you know, I'm going to see brother so-and-so. I'm going to see sister so-and-so. I'm going to be with somebody so-and-so. I'm going to be able to hear God's word taught. I'm going to be able to praise the Lord. And I am hungry to do that. The Apostle Paul says, I long, to use the word that I emotionally had an had a incredibly intense desire to be with you. He's going to end this book, we're going to find, giving several names of people. The Apostle Paul was a relational person. He wasn't just withdrawn. He didn't just do this Christian thing by himself. He was passionately involved with others. One of the things I want you to pray, and I want you to pray it for me, and I'm praying it with you. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us an intense warmth, an intense passion to be together. We need to truly love each other as brothers. We need to love each other as sisters. In fact, if you want a good read on where your heart is today, if you'll think, I'm this week, I'm going to be with so-and-so or with several people, and then analyze that group, that's where your heart is. You see, you long to be with people that are like-minded. Like over at the airport in Waxahachie. They're like airport, you know, uh, what is it? Mongrels. I wasn't going to say that, but they hang around the airport. You can ask Carol over there. They're always at the airport. What's their unity factor at the airport? Why are there airport mongrels? Because they love flying. Every one of you, if you go down to the Innes Raceway, when they really get cranked up, there's a whole group, and they're down there, and what's their unifying factor? They love fast cars. I could take every one of you, if you want to know where your heart is, it's that group, not that you go to because you have to, but because you want to. So, for example, when your 14-year-old starts to tell you, I don't like church, it's boring, I don't want to be involved in the youth group, I don't connect with any of the kids. As a parent, how should you react to that? Well, we just don't want to go because my parents forced me to go, and I don't want you know, that to happen, so we'll just let our kid you know, go wherever they desire to go. My dad used to ask me when I came up with stuff like that, Dave, When was the last time you read the Bible and really cared? When was the last time you really talked to the Lord and just poured out your heart to him? Maybe, Dave, the reason you don't want to go to this particular group is that it's focused in Jesus. And right now, you're not focused in Jesus at all. And I want you to know as your dad that we can talk about that and we can share about that. But I just want you to know as a dad that I couldn't make it through the day without Jesus. And that's what I covet for you as my son. You see, he went for the heart jugular. And you as a mom and dad, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a passion for Jesus and a passion for loving one another. And then that togetherness with Jesus becomes a launching pad 
to reach into the next area. Spain, if you think of an arc, it's like an arc across the northern part of the Mediterranean and then a southern arc across the southern part of the Mediterranean. One of the great commentators on the book of Romans, Dunn, that teaches over in England, shares about it. What he believes is that Paul has the assignment from the Lord to com- complete the northern arc. And Paul believes he's now completed the eastern part of that arc. He reached Syria. He was sent out from Antioch. He reached Asia. Then the Lord took him into Europe with Macedonia and Greece. He has a passion in this passage to get to Rome. And then the next part of that arc would be Gaul. And evidently he really feels that the Roman church possibly going to be able to reach that. And he wants to go to the farthest most western province of the Roman Empire. And it had already been settled in the time of Augustus and Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar began to send his armies there. They, they were able to throw the Carthaginians out from northern Africa. There are settled cities like Cadiz that's right along the coast. And he's going to be able to go there and bring the gospel. That's what he has a passion to do. Every one of us should be part of a base of operations to reach the unreached. And some of you that say, well, Dave, there's too many problems here. When we announce missions, it's not my thing. I want to ask you a question. Would you be sitting here today if your brothers and sisters in the first century said, we got enough problems in Jerusalem. We got enough problems in Judea. We got enough problems in Samaria. We're going to just stay in this land of Israel sandwiched between Asia, Africa, and Europe. How many of you would be here today? Do you realize that you're sitting here today because believers like yourself had a passion like the Apostle Paul did? How many of you are native-born Texans? You know why you're sitting here today? Because Methodist circuit-riding preachers on their horses went from Waxahachie and to Venus, and to Cleburne. They rode the circus. Some of you in this room even have ancestors that were the ones that rode those miles on the horseback. The Baptists and the Methodists took the South by storm because they didn't just sit in their little groups and think about it. They had a passion to go into what most people considered those wild and woolly barbarian people And let's reach them for Jesus. And there was powerful revivals that broke out. Brothers and sisters, I want to be part of that continuing mission in the world. How about you? And so, like, last week, they had twice as many couples in Nebraska as they've usually had. The Holy Spirit worked powerfully. And a great excitement for a commitment to a Jesus-centered marriage broke out. Great excitement about bringing some of their unbelieving friends next year. And you all were part of that as you prayed. It unleashed the power of the Spirit. We've got David Cox down in Brazil. And David in the school that they're training trains Brazilians who speak Portuguese who can go to Angola and Africa. And on and on the story goes. All this interconnectedness that we have in the body of Christ. The base of operations. But the Apostle Paul is saying, before I do that, I need to take a love offering to the church in Jerusalem. I want you to look at what he shares about this offering in Jerusalem. Look at the next verse there. Now, however, now, however, I'm on my way. The Apostle Paul is always on his way. He's on his way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints. 
And the word service is like a priestly service that all of you are a part of. Remember, the saints are not some individual believers that are more super than the rest of us, but saints are all of you that have been set apart by Jesus, and we all need to be involved in the service to one another. For Macedonia and Achaia, Macedonia is the northern area of Greece. It's part of Albania and what's now modern-day Macedonia. And Achaia would be the whole southern part of the body of Greece today. So if you think about your map, right across from Italy, the country of Greece, and then up to the north. They were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you think the dominant ethnic group in Macedonia and Achaia was? Tell me. It was Jewish or Gentile? It was Gentile. The dominant ethnic group in Macedonia and Achaia were Gentile. And it, yet it says they were pleased to give a gift. What's the dominant ethnic group in the church of Jerusalem? Jewish. James, the Lord's half-brother, is the leader of the church there. By the early 60s, 10 years before this, or a little bit more, the Apostle Paul, in the early days of his ministry, brought a gift from Antioch, and he brought it from the church of Antioch to the church of Jerusalem. So he started out the beginning of his mission by bringing a gift because there was a famine in Jerusalem. Evidently, Jerusalem, the believers there, were still reeling from some of that economic downturn. I want you to know that, that politically, there's a tremendous hostility that's beginning to rise up in the city of Jerusalem, in Judea, coming from Galilee. The zealots are grabbing hold. In fact, in 67 AD, less than a decade after the Apostle Paul took this offering to the Jerusalem church, the world of Judea exploded. The Jews decided that they wouldn't take any donations from Gentiles anymore for the temple. They cut off all Roman support, and they got an army, and they rebelled against the Roman legions. And the Roman armies began to land in Caesarea, and from 67 all the way until the burning of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and then farther the Jewish world exploded. Thousands upon thousands of Jews were crucified. The Apostle Paul is really concerned that that separation, that division between Jews and Gentiles was going to impact the church. He's been talking to us about two chapters, about those that have more of a Jewish orientation that want to have a more legal approach, that want to keep religious laws, keep the kosher laws. He wants them to unite as brothers and sisters with the free-willing Gentiles. All that is in his mind. Now, how is he going to make sure that the church stays united? Look what he says. He says the Macedonian Achaeans were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. There's a balance here. Twice he talks about they were pleased to do it, and there's a stress there that they were free, that it wasn't coerced, although the Apostle Paul made very strong appeals to them. But they also have an obligation. What is the obligation? They were pleased to do it, but they were also, the Gentiles have shared with the Jews in their spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. The Apostle Paul talks about a connection. If you receive spiritual blessings, 
the Jewish church in Achaia, in Macedonia, they received the story of Jesus from the Jews in Jerusalem. They had access to Jesus' earthly life from the Jews in Jerusalem. They knew about the miracles that he did. They heard the incredible story of his death in 33 AD in Jerusalem outside the walls. Where did they learn all that from? From the Jewish church. The apostle Paul himself was even indebted to the Jerusalem church because he didn't walk with Christ during Christ's earthly life. And the Apostle Paul talked about his unity. Yes, he went to the desert. Yes, he received direct revelation from the Lord. But the Apostle Paul talked about in Galatians, he was inspired as an apostle, but he was united with the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. So there's all this indebtedness spiritually. I want you to think through in your own life this morning, who has the Lord used? Think back through your life. Who has the Lord used to give you spiritual gifts? As you think about your training, you think about how the Lord spoke to your heart, you think about how you first heard the gospel, you think about Awana leaders, you think about Sunday school leaders, you think about maybe an evangelist that came and talked to you. What Paul is saying is if the Holy Spirit has used somebody to bless you spiritually, then the response is to give materially. So I want to share with you, you should evaluate that. Some of you give to organizations, colleges, You give to churches you've been connected with in the past. And you never evaluate, are they still giving gifts spiritually? Are they still communicating the truth of God's word? And you have an obligation as a giver to make sure that there's still spiritual fire there. That you're not just maintaining deadness. The Apostle Paul is telling the Gentile believers, this is the message that I received, and it's the message that was planted in the Jerusalem church. They're Jewish. Ethnically, they were divided, but the Gentiles exploded with love. I want to give a gift. We hear our brothers and sisters are suffering, so we want to respond to that need. So one of the things that's totally biblical is if you receive spiritual blessings, you want to bless that materially. You want to give gifts. That relates right to the offering here in Midlothian Bible Church. Like if you come week after week and the Lord uses your small group, how do you sit in your small group? Is it warm in that building today? It's because of material stuff. So if you receive spiritual blessing, as you're sitting here this morning, if the Holy Spirit uses the teaching of God's word in your heart and it builds you and it causes you to fall in love with Jesus, a natural response you should have is to give. In my own background, my dad spent his life challenging people to give. And I've often told you from the time I was a little boy, my dad was always challenging people to give. And so in my own heart, emotionally, I had a little kid I had, well, he's begging. No, he wasn't begging. He was not begging. One of the greatest blessings in my life is to know when we talk about mission in our church, I can look at my checkbook and I know that this money and this money and this money and this money went to this and this and this and this. And I'm part of it. I can walk around on a Thursday night when this place is a bus and I can say, well, the gym is full. I had a part in that. I've had a part in that for years. And I want to challenge you. There's some of you that have never, never given. And I don't know who you are. I just so don't think I'm memorizing your name because I don't know your name. But what I'm concerned about is that you're missing out 
on the incredible thrill of being part of a mission. You're missing out on the incredible expression of your heart in tangible things. The Apostle Paul wants the Gentiles to materially give. And I want you to see that it wasn't coerced. It wasn't done because there was a tax. The Apostle Paul always stressed his grace, but he urgently asked the Gentile church to meet the needs of the mother Jewish church. Why is that? Because a gift, remember my story? A gift giving across divides can heal. A gift given across divides can heal. And the Apostle Paul is saying, we're going to enact in the Gentile mission, the reason I need to take this off in Jerusalem is because that's going to be the culmination of my Gentile mission in the east. And then I'll be ready to go to the west, but I need to seal it by uniting the mother church. So he's saying, number one, I want the Roman church to be a mission base to reach the West. Number two, he's saying, I want there to be this incredible aid for the Jerusalem saints that'll cement the unity. And then he asked for prayer. He closes by saying, I need you all to pray. Look what he says. He says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, I urge you by our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all going to be the work of the Lord Jesus. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that generates this love for one another. And this is what I would pray that that Holy Spirit through the power of Christ would cause you to join me in my struggle for praying for you. For you. Paul is saying to the, to the Roman church that he's never met, I'm praying that God's Holy Spirit will generate a love in your heart that you'll pray for me. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints that are there. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed and the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer about two things. Number one, when he goes back to Jerusalem, his life is on the line. When the Apostle Paul goes back to Jerusalem, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The last time he was in Jerusalem, he had a flea for his life. He was in the temple And the Lord said, Paul, I've got many things for you to do, but it's not here in Jerusalem. You need to get out of here and found the Gentile mission. So he had to flee for his life. Now he's coming back into the iron jaws of this incredible conflict between Rome and Jewish orthodoxy. And it's dangerous. So some of you can say, and I want you to listen to me as we close. Some of you will say, why would Sid Mizell in Afghanistan? Why was she there? We shouldn't be there. You're going to hear that from Americans, and I want to share something with you. It's a political debate about foreign relations and how you handle foreign relations about America's influence in the world. I'll debate that with you, and we can totally disagree. Don't connect that with the mission that we have as believers not as Americans, but as the church of Jesus Christ around the world to be invading new territory. So the Apostle Paul is asking for prayer because he's even going to go into a situation where his life is going to be on the line because that's what we got. We've got the most incredible message, the only good news that can guarantee forgiveness of sin. Don't ever forget that. Like, I'm not being imperialistic. I'm not being just American. I'm not being arrogant. But I want you to know, I stand before you. I know the cure 
for the world's greatest sickness. And if I don't tell everybody that I can in a skillful, tender, loving way and a strong way, then I don't have any ethics at all. Because I'm going to walk right into the courtroom of heaven and God the Father is going to grab me into his arms and says, I'm going to be your Abba forever and ever. And I will say, well, Father, why am I your son? He says, because you trusted my son. And he's the mediator. He's the bridge. That's incredible good news. Don't ever get over that. And that's worth. I want all the young people here, I want you adults to know it's worth risking your life for. And I'm not just whistling through my teeth. I have members of my family right now that are in very dangerous parts of the world for one reason. They want to create a body of Christ like this for the first time in a people group that's never had an indigenous church. The second thing I want you to see is that he prayed that the gift might be accepted. We say, well, what's that big deal? Because the Jerusalem Jews, even the church, could be told by their fellow co-patriots, if you accept that gift from the Gentiles, you're going to have hell to pay for. And so when Paul brings this offering from the Gentile church, and he even brought Gentiles with him, it's going to test, will even the Jerusalem believers cross racial barriers? And will they open their heart? What are the divides that you think there are in our church family? One of the divides is between older folks and younger folks. So I want to ask you as an older person, what is a gift that you can bring? Like here's a really concrete one. We have different tastes in music. To be honest with you, if I meet with 20 to 30-year-olds, they like the way we started out this morning. That's the truth. Some of you older ones can't stand that. But then we sang, Fairest Lord Jesus. But I don't want you to sing, Fairest Lord Jesus, because you like the tradition. I want you to sing it because Jesus really is precious. See, I am meddling with you now. You need to stop allowing your emotion, your response to music is emotional. Some of you like 60s music and some of you don't. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't like 60s music. Some of you young people, let me talk to you on the younger side. Some of you young people don't like the melody of Ferris Lord Jesus. It does nothing for you emotionally. What about the words? 14-year-old, is Jesus fair? Is Jesus beautiful? One of the greatest gifts that this church family has given to my family is older folks that didn't divide from me when I was young. And they didn't divide from my kids. And they also created a church family that let the movement of the Spirit among the young to express itself. And I want to share that it works both ways. So the younger folks need to connect with the older folks, and the older folks need to connect with the younger folks, and you connect, and you give the gift. Like, it'll be healing as you make meals for someone that you don't know. It relates all over the place. This week, you're going to have a neighbor that's two houses down that you don't know at all. 
What have we learned today? There's power in a gift. In the story that I started out with, in 1968, that story took place. And I went to high school in the Deep South at that time. My roommate from Alabama went out on Friday night with a shotgun loaded with a rock salt and shot at African American and left. They were given pickup rides. They were beat up. They were cut. And sometimes much worse. And when that little African-American boy brought food for a poor white family, the Holy Spirit was generating the power of a gift. And so one of the things we want to do now is just close our eyes in prayer, and I'll talk to the Lord about maybe some of the gifts that I need to give, and I also need to ask for forgiveness for when there is estrangement. I need to ask the Lord to bring the kind of unifying, Christ-filled love that the Apostle Paul had into my life. How about you?